Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. morning. Welcome to Real Life. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and so we, uh, we say welcome to you. We also say welcome to those of you who are watching in the chapel or those who are watching at home via Facebook Live. So welcome. It's uh, so good to be here this morning. Hopefully you're enjoying your holiday weekend. Hopefully you guys are enjoying that extra day that you have uh, tomorrow. And of course, being Memorial Day weekend, we do recognize the fact that some of you may have loved ones who have served in our military and uh, have lost their life. And so today, we of course remember them and remember the sacrifice and the service that they gave uh, for our, our nation and for our freedoms and so that we could, we could be here today. So uh, it is a good Memorial Day weekend despite, despite the weather. Uh, but nonetheless, you are here and we're excited about what God has in store for our service today. We've been in this sermon series uh, called Carpentry 101 where we've been looking at things that Jesus would build, right? And when you're building something, let's say you're building a house, you know, there's lots of different things. You've got the foundation, you've got the walls, you've got the roof, you've got doors and all sorts of things. And uh, as we've been talking through this series, we've looked at the, the idea that the foundation of our house should be rooted in Jesus, that the walls and that the frames of our, of our structure should be our character. And uh, last week, Pastor Jim talked a little bit about how, you know, sometimes in our, in our neighborhoods, we actually like to build a fence around our house and make it kind of, you know, more neat and secure. And he actually, you know, talked about tearing down those fences and having open doors and being more kind of personal with the neighborhood. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. As we look at this idea that we should be a good neighbor to the people around us. Because of course, anytime we're building a house, one thing we have to consider is, is the neighborhood. That's important. Before I moved to California, I, uh, I worked at a church in Texas, and uh, I worked there, and one summer we took a group of fifth and sixth graders on a mission trip down to Galveston, Texas. And uh, I don't know if you know anything about Galveston. Galveston's actually kind of a poor area of, uh, of Texas. There's a lot of homeless people there, and they often uh, have a lot of flooding and, you know, with all the hurricanes and things, and so it's, uh, it's, more, it's a devastated area. So, uh, so one year, we took our fifth and sixth graders down, and the average income of Galveston, Texas is $26,000 per family. And with for, per year, which was very different than the average income of our neighborhood that I was coming from, where our students lived, Highland Park, uh, was two hundred thousand dollars a year. So there was a big difference between our, our, you know, our middle, our fifth and sixth grade students and the community where we were serving. So we talked to the organization. We said, "Hey, it would be really cool if you guys could help us help our students learn more about what it means to be homeless in Galveston." So he said, "Well, we have an idea for you. What if you guys did a poverty, you know, homeless simulation?" So great, sounds awesome. So we're, we're on the trip and they wake us up at like six in the morning and of course the students are all like, you know, what are we doing? Why are we getting up so early? And, and uh, they say, you're gonna be homeless for the next couple hours. You're gonna go out and you're gonna, uh, you're gonna be on the streets and you're not gonna have any money and you're not, gonna, you're not gonna have breakfast. You're gonna be homeless and you have to try to figure it out. They gave every group like $1 and they said, you gotta go and try to find yourself breakfast and you gotta try to make some money and you need to find a job application and find some resources as if you were homeless that you could, that you could use to help you. The kids are like, oh my gosh, 
gosh, I can't believe we're doing this. And of course, me, I don't know if you've ever served on a youth trip um, as a chaperone or a leader, a youth group leader. Uh, sometimes we as adults, when we go on trips, sometimes we think, you know, we're kind of exempt from the activities that the students uh, do. And so I was sitting there having a coffee and, you know, checking some emails. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. A couple hours of just free time while the staff take care of our students. They do the poverty simulation. And uh, so I'm, I'm sitting there and they, they take away my coffee and they're like, you too. Here you go. So I, I, I'm now hitting the streets with our students, and, uh, and we're going out. And, and it was actually very, very, very interesting, um, even though I was annoyed that they took away my coffee, and it's 7 a.m., and now I'm on the streets. Um, it was actually really fascinating. And so I learned some things that day. Um, I learned that, you know, restaurants don't generally give out free cups of water uh, unless you're willing to pay for the cup, you know. And, and so the students were actually surprised that, you know, they wouldn't give them water because they didn't pay for it. Uh, it's amazing how many people won't give you money when you ask them. Uh, it's, it's amazing what, what you'll do to try to find like a quarter on the street. Um, it's amazing also uh, to just kind of see how people treat you when you're homeless. So we, we learned some things that day, but what was interesting was that the students said, you know, hey, what if we went and visited some churches? What if we went and like knocked on the doors and asked them where we could go? So that's an amazing idea, let's go check it out. So we went and visited the Baptist church and we knocked on the door and it was locked. All the lights are off, no one was there. It's like, well, okay, that's weird. Maybe we'll go to another church. So we went to the Presbyterian church, same thing. No, you know, doors closed, no one's there, no staff, no, one, no one's home. Then we went to the Methodist church, same thing, right? We, we, we went to a non-denominational church, no one there. We get to the Catholic church. There was a little lady in the office, but she didn't believe that we were homeless and then just told us to get on our way. And uh, so we're kind of, you know, coming up empty and, and the kids are like, gosh, it's crazy. Like, these are churches. Aren't they supposed to be helping people? And it made me think that day about sometimes we as the church, like we say we're all about the neighborhood, but a lot of us aren't. A lot of churches don't necessarily help their neighbor. And that doesn't mean that just because you have locked doors or, you know, no one's in the, in the office that day doesn't mean that, you know, you don't care about your neighbors. I mean, we lock the doors here at Real Life just for safety, you know, measures. We don't want people coming in off the street while we have our staff here during the day. And uh, so we, we do lock our doors here and our staff sometimes is out and we're, you know, meeting people and having coffee or visiting people in the hospital. But there is something that we as a church have to think about because historically the church has not been super great about caring for its community. And so I want us to think about that today. I want us to look at what that means, right? This is super important for us today. And this is our sixth Sunday here in our new building. We just moved from Sandberg Middle School to, to this, this campus. And a lot of you made that happen. And so thank you for all the effort and the energy that you took to help us get moved in, for grabbing, you know, a kid's toy and moving it over, or a box of supplies or t-shirts and, you know, a hammer and a paint, you know, can and just helping us get moved in. It was because of you that we are now moved in to this new building. But that also means that we move into a new neighborhood. And so how can we as a church care for our neighbors well? That should be the most forefront thing on our mind as we move into this new campus. So I want you to, to think about that with me today. How can we care for the neighbors right around our church and, and then even those who live far away? So we're gonna look at that because the mission of the church means caring for others. So we're gonna look at Luke chapter 10, and we're gonna be in verse 25. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37 is where we're going to be today. We're gonna to look at what Jesus says about loving our neighbor. But before we pick up the text and read it this morning, let us pray. Lord God Almighty, as we open up your text this morning, may we gratefully receive it. May we clearly understand it. And may we faithfully apply it to our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So now let's read Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 27. This is the words of Jesus. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. 
And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And then secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now I want to stop there because this is a fascinating exchange between this lawyer, this educated Jewish man, and the Messiah, Jesus, who is on earth. What a fascinating exchange. Here's the man going, you know, come on, Jesus, just tell me, like, give me straight up. How can I go to heaven? And Jesus goes, we already know, right? Why don't you tell me? Man's probably confused, like, well, you're Jesus, right? You came from heaven, why can't you just tell me? But Jesus says, tell me what it says. What does the Old Testament say? Well, the man says, well, it says you got to love God. You got to love your neighbor. Quotes all this Old Testament, right? He passes with flying colors. He nails the question. He's 100% correct. And Jesus says, you're right. That's exactly the case. Love God, love your neighbor. Go and do this and you will live. Right, and here's the idea when he says, go and do this, and you will live. He's essentially implying the fact that the man may not have been doing this prior. Right, the man's asking the question because he generally wants to know from Jesus, how can I go to heaven? But whether or not he actually was practicing what he already knows is yet to be determined. And Jesus begins to to bring this to light, this, this idea that there may be a chasm between the head and the heart. See, the man knows what he should do to go to heaven. But is he actually doing those things and and feeling in his heart the motive to actually go do them? That's the question that needs to be asked. In the early 1800s, there was a a British comedian, and this guy went around telling stories and had shows. His name was William Macready. And one day, he was talking to an eminent pastor um, in the UK, and and, uh, at that time, Great Britain. And they were having this conversation, and the pastor says to this comedian, he says, you know, tell me. You know, you have all these crowds, you have sold out shows, people come, you know, from miles away to hear you. How is it that you tell made up stories and people follow you like crazy? But yet here I am teaching true stories from the Bible and I can't get anybody to come listen to me. And the, the, the guy said, he, William, he, he tells his pastor, he says, well, I'll tell you, there's a difference between you and me. He says, I take made up stories and I present them as truth and people follow But you take your truth and you often present it like it's a made-up story. And that's something that we do in the church, right? We take what the Bible says, we take the teachings of Jesus, and we know it's truth, but a lot of us just kind of treat it like it's just some story. It's some nice thing to know, but we don't really apply it to our life. And that's what the Pharisees would do. They treated their truth like a story. And that's what Jesus points out to the lawyer. He says, hey, hey, buddy, Come on, figure this out. You already know what it means to receive eternal life. Love God, love your neighbor. Now go do that. What does the man say? Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And that's a legit question. And we're gonna get back as to why that's an important question in just a second. When I, was in, uh, when I was in college, I went to Marquette up in Milwaukee, and uh, you, might, you might remember, I grew up in North Carolina, and so I was this like southern boy that kind of trekked up north to the big city, and I was, I was living in Milwaukee, and, uh, and I was living in this apartment with a bunch of guys in college. Now, what does a southern kid bring with him to the north? The sweet tea, right, my country music, uh, you know, an accent, 
and my George Bush cutout poster, uh, and uh, you know this this like little poster from Bojangles that advertised sweet tea. If you know Bojangles, I love I love Bojangles, right? And every single morning, I would make myself this amazing Southern breakfast. What is it? Grits. You guys alive out there? Come on, grits. <laughs> Right? If you haven't heard of grits, that's okay. You should try them. Some people are like, oh, it's like cream of wheat. It's nothing like cream of wheat. Don't listen to anybody that says that. Anyway, so I, find, I found a grocery store that sold grits. And my grandma, you know, my, when I was growing up, my grandma would make them with uh, butter and sugar, and it was amazing. And so when I got to college, I brought them with me. Now, here's the deal is grits are amazing, but what's not amazing about grits is that you have to wash the pan and the, and the bowls immediately right after you've made them. Because if you let it sit, they're going to get caked on and it gets really sticky and gooey and gross. And you'll have to like soak your pans in water for days just to get all these grits out, right? And it cakes the whole sink. So anyway, so college Kevin, you know, is, is making myself grits every morning. Do you think college Kevin washed his dishes? No way, right? I had, to, I had to get to class. But when you're living with roommates, right, you have to learn real quick what it means to care for your neighbor. Right? Who's ever lived with roommates? Okay, some of you, right? Sometimes it's hard when you live with your neighbor in, in such close proximity. And it's really hard when those people live with someone who makes grits every morning and doesn't wash the dishes. So I apologize to all my roommates out there for not ever washing my dishes. They would get so mad. They would come in in the afternoon like, Kevin, you left your grits in the, in the sink today. Right? I'm so sorry, guys. And I'd go wash them like days later. But, you know, we live in a world that's, that's full of grit, that's full of just sticky, gross messiness all around us. And we live in a world where it says just defend for yourself. Make your own choices. Do whatever you want. Like, live for yourself. Don't consider those around you. That's how many of us live in the world today. That is the reality of our world. And that was the same back then. And that's exactly why the man asked the question, who is my neighbor? Because when he's asking that question, he's really asking, do I have to care for the Romans? Right? Who's overseeing that area of the world in that time period? The Roman Empire. They, were, they came in, they, they raped their women, they murdered people in the village, they destroyed their land. It's just the reality of living under the Roman rule. And for the Jews, they were very concerned about how where they were going to love these people that treated them so poorly. So the man's asking, do I have to love the Romans who are invading my land? And then secondly, they want to know, the man wants to know, do I have to love the Samaritans who live on the other side? The Samaritans, the Jews didn't like. They were considered half people. In fact, a Jewish person would treat their dog better than they would treat a Samaritan on the, on the street. They didn't get along with this other group of people. A lot of racial tension there. So the man's saying, do I have to love the Romans? Do I have to love the Samaritans who aren't like me? Or, you know, Jesus, are you talking about like my legit neighbor, like the guy next door, Johnny, you know, who's a Jew and is fine. Like that, that's what he's essentially asking, right? There's a real big question at stake here. And it's important for us to consider that. So when the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? He's asking an important question. And here's what Jesus says. Verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. And then a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on the man. Now, I want you to take note here. Who's the hero in the story that Jesus is telling? The Samaritan. 
right? Now, this is exactly what would get Jesus in trouble, right? Jesus often got in trouble with some of the Jewish leaders because of the things he said. And here he is making the Samaritan the hero of the story. Remember, the Jews don't like the Samaritans. So we're already raising the tension level between Jesus and the man quite high. This is important for us. Right, as you read this passage, as you look at this story between the, the man who's been beaten on the side of the road and the priest and the Levite who passes by, the Jewish people just ignore him, the Samaritan comes and helps, I want you to think, who are you in this story? Are you the Samaritan? Are you the Levite? Are you the priest? Are you the man on the side of the road? Who are you? You see, for many Christians today, what would we say? We would say that, well, I'm the good Samaritan, right? I would, of course, help the man. I would, of course, stop and help the guy on the side of the road. I'm the good Samaritan. But that's where you and I often get it wrong. You and I are not the good Samaritan. This is an important point. We're not the good Samaritan. As much as we want to be like the good Samaritan, we are not that guy. You might be the priest or the Levite. You might be one of those, but most of us are not the Good Samaritan. You and I are the lawyer. Because you and I often ask this question of Jesus. Jesus, how can I get to heaven? Who is my neighbor? These are the questions that you and I ask. And it's something we have to think about as we approach this passage. Jesus says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, talking about the Samaritan, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He says, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, saying, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, yes, go and do likewise. This is a stunning story. Jesus reminds us what it means to care for our neighbor. And this is often hard for us to put ourselves into the position of the Good Samaritan because that's a very difficult place to be. It's hard and it requires sacrifice and it's kind of scary. And so let's talk about how we can do that. A professor at Princeton University recently did a survey and he, he did this research study on, on what made some people compassionate and some people not compassionate. And what he found was is that everyone who demonstrated compassion did so because at some point in their life in the past, somebody had been compassionate towards them. And it's because they had received compassion that changed the way that they saw the world, and that also allowed them to be more compassionate to the world around them. Now, when Pastor Jim kicked us off on this series, Carpentry 101, he named for us that our character is one of the most important parts of our lives. It's the structure which makes up our being, our lives, our relationships. Everything is wrapped up around the structure of our character. And the character is the, is the idea of all the defining characteristics and features that make you who you are. This could be kindness or you know, love or joy or compassion or gratitude. There could be lots of things to your character. But today I want you to consider that to care for your neighbor requires compassion, and compassion is a critical component of your and my character. Compassion. Do you have compassion for those around you? Do you truly care for those in your, in your neighborhood, outside of your houses, your coworkers, at your work, at your school, 
on the sports fields, the people around you, do you have compassion for them? Or do you only look towards yourself? That's something we always have to ask ourselves. You see, we live in a culture that's surrounded by what I call sort of a, a, a suburban Christianity, right? And we live here in, in a suburb of, of Los Angeles. And so this is important for us to consider because suburban Christianity is rooted around this idea, this idol of safety. What do I mean by that? You see, a lot of times, you know, in our culture, here in the suburbs, we often think that success is defined by the kind of house we have and how nice it is or what kind of car we're driving or how good our job is or how safe our neighborhoods are or how good our schools are. And there's nothing wrong with wanting a good life for our kids, right? I'm very thankful to get to live in a safe neighborhood and a good place. I get very thankful for my job and for my 401k and for health insurance and all those things. But it's important for us as the church to realize that some of the things that we pride ourselves on may not exactly be the things that Jesus is trying to build. Because Jesus often builds his neighborhood in places that don't look a lot like our suburban Christianity. Because Jesus often doesn't play it safe. Even in the story right here, a man gets beaten on the side of the road. The story has an, is, is very flat out in our face, not a safe situation. And yet Jesus uses this story to talk about caring for our neighbor. He often is building in places that are not safe. A couple weeks ago, uh, actually a couple months now, I guess, uh, at spring break, I got to go uh, with a team here from Real Life down to Mexico, right? This is a place that's generally known as not being very safe. And, and that wasn't really a reason why I decided I didn't want to go. It was spring break. And, and so I made up all these excuses, you know, gosh, I, you know, I'm a PhD student. I don't really have the money. Um, I would love to hang out with college students because they're going to be back in town or hang out with students because they're off school. It's going to be a perfect time to get some stuff done or catch up on things. And, and so I've kind of made a lot of excuses and I decided I wasn't going to go. Well, Pastor Jim kind of made it clear that I really do need you to go. And so I said, okay, well, I mean, all right, I'll go. So I'm in the van and we're driving down to Mexico and, and I've never been to Tijuana before, right? Now I've traveled a lot of places and I kind of felt like I knew what to expect, but I really didn't, didn't quite know. But I called up my mom, we're on the van and we're, we're driving down to Mexico. I called my mom and I, I kind of waited to the last second to tell her I was going. So I'm like, mom, I'm going to Tijuana. And you know, this is my mom in North Carolina. <laughs> and she's like, what? You're going to where? Why did you not tell me this? You, don't, you know how terrible it is down there? You know how unsafe it is down there? Like you look up on the news and people are getting kidnapped and it just, she was going on and on and on and hearing all the things that we do here on the news about Mexico. I said, I know mom, I, I get it, but like I'm in the van now, there's nothing I can do and Pastor Jim is beelining it for the border, right? Like when you get on Pastor Jim's bus, he goes fast, right? He's on a fast train and he likes going to Mexico. And so I was like, well, Pastor Jim says I'm going, I'm going, we're going to Mexico and it'll be all right. My mom's like, ah, just don't tell me next time you're doing this. So anyways, I hung up and we get down there and, and Mexico actually was, was interesting, right? It wasn't really at all what I expected. It was actually much safer than I expected. We get there and we built a house for a couple that was very young, I mean, early 20s, and they cried as we handed them the keys to the house. It was amazing. We had amazing food with the locals. We played basketball with the, with the kids from the neighborhood in the middle of the street on the basketball goal outside the, the, the house where we were staying. It was actually a very beautiful place. And we definitely had to watch our back. We didn't, you know, go out at dark. The lady, the, the uh, lady who watched the house said, you're not going out after dark. Like, uh, trust me, I'm not going out after dark. And, uh, you know, we locked the van and we didn't take valuables and we were very careful about what we did and where we went. But in reality, it was a very beautiful, beautiful place. What was amazing to me is that I met a woman in Mexico who was on our job site. She was carrying around a baby. And this woman, she had married a man in, in Mexico. She had went with her church on a trip. 
And she had, she had fallen in love with one of the guys who lived down in Mexico, one of the Mexican workers, and, and they, they, they got married. She moved down to Tijuana. They had a baby together. They were, the baby, it, it speaks, well, it will speak uh, Spanish and English. And she's carrying it around, and we said, gosh, that's amazing. You, you just moved your whole life down here. Don't you miss your life back in America? And she said, I miss it every day. I had to give up my family. I had to give up my life. I had to give up my security, and I come down here to Tijuana, but I get to build beautiful things in Mexico. And I get to build the church and be a part of something that's growing. And for me, that was amazing because I realized, gosh, would I be willing to do that? Would I be willing to give up all that I have here and move over the border and do that? It's something, something to think about. It's something that actually wrestled, made me wrestle inside. You see, when we follow Jesus, he doesn't offer safety. What Jesus offers us is something a little different. Are you ready for it? It's security. Jesus doesn't promise us safety. He promises us security. He gives us the assurance of our salvation and who Jesus is that when we place our trust in Jesus, we will receive eternal life and life abundantly. That is secure. That is a fact that is indisputable. It is promised. It is made secure in our faith. But many of us follow how the church has long taught us. The church has long taught us to be non-heroic. What does that mean? The church has taught us if you go to church every Sunday, you're good. The church teaches us, you know, if you go to Sunday school, you're good. The church teaches us, you know, if you, if, you, if you say you know the Bible, you're fine. It teaches us to basically be good, avoid all that's bad, look good, know all the right answers, and you're fine. But that's not actually what Jesus had in mind. You see, what Jesus gives us is he gives us the security of faith in him and immense freedom to go out and transform the world. And it doesn't look like the way that the church has looked for the last 40 to 50 years. If you want to have an exciting life, you want to have an exciting adventure in your life, stop making safety your idol and follow Jesus and allow Jesus to take you on a path that will not only transform you, but will change the world around you. And can you imagine what it would be like if our church did that here in the neighborhood? You see, I feel like our church actually does this really, really well. And so this is actually just, this message is a message of encouragement for us to continue doing what we are already doing. We have teams of people that go knock on doors on Saturday mornings in the neighborhood to invite people to the church. We have people that are going out into the community and pressing the flesh to invite people into this church and to say, we want you to be a part of us. We love everyone and you're next. That is our mantra and we should keep rallying around that until years into the future. And that is what will continue sustaining us in the growth of the church. So I want to challenge us to continue being good neighbors, particularly important, which is here at Valley Center, as we think about our new neighborhood around us. So here's how we'll kind of close this today. I want to give us three takeaways as to how we can care for our neighbor. Takeaway number one, inspire curiosity. Inspire curiosity. Secondly, inspire trust. Inspire trust. And thirdly, do everything in the name of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Inspire curiosity. There are people in this neighborhood and around us and around the area that are curious as to what we do and why we're here, right? Since we moved in, there's been people that have come by every day going, what is this? Who are you? What is real life? You know, what are you guys about? What kind of church are you? They want to know what's going on in, in, this, in this group. 
So inspire curiosity. You want to inspire curiosity? Invite someone to come with you to the block party next Sunday. I'm really excited that next Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. we're going to throw open the doors of the church and we're going to have bounce houses and a barbecue. And that's going to be a way that we're going to say to our neighborhood, we are a church that's welcome, loving, fun, amazing, and come and hang out with us. We're not just interested in just kind of being a social club. We actually want to transform the world and come and join us. Will you be that church? Will you? It's okay to say, yes, I will. (laughs) You guys alive out there? (laughs) Right? Will you be a church that inspires curiosity? Because I guarantee you, people around you are curious as to why you come to real life, why you're a follower of Jesus, why you care so much about church, because that's very different than the rest of the world looks. So what will we do to inspire curiosity? Secondly, will we inspire trust? Right? Most people don't trust churches. And there's a reason for that, because the church doesn't have a great track record at being the most trusting place. Just look through the catacombs of history, and you can get that real clear, right? I actually experienced this last week. You see, we live in a culture that doesn't naturally lean into trust. People don't often trust the the assumptions of other people. This past week, I'm finishing my PhD, and hopefully we'll finish this fall. And as I finish, I'm working on a dissertation. And and as I write my dissertation, I have to do a research study, and I'm doing all my research over in England. Because I'm really interested in how churches are, 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 are working over there. The church in England is very different than the church in America, and so I'm interested in doing my research study there. So last week, I rented a car, and I drove around the country, and uh, I drove out like 800 miles or something like that, and I just met with churches and religious organizations and, and university leaders and people who are doing ministry, and, and it was fascinating. Because British people, they don't trust Americans, right? And it's kind of easy to understand why, <laughs> but they don't trust Americans. Americans are kind of loud and in your face and generally quite open, and British people are very reserved and very proper, right? And so, you know, and it's, and so here's this American guy, and I'd roll up to a church, and, you know, I'm in a rental car driving on the wrong side of the road, and I'm on the wrong side of the car, and I'm doing the manual transmission with my left hand, and I don't really know how to drive a manual car. I'm kind of figuring it out along the way, so I'm stalling out in front of the church, you know, and these pastors probably looking outside and like, who is this guy? Can't even, like, can't drive the car and you can't even parallel park, right? The roads are like this wide. <laughs> Come on. So and then I'm here, I am rolling up, you know, and I got my American accent. I don't know how to drink tea. I'm asking for the sweet tea and the iced tea. They're like, what? You know? They're like, can I get you a scone? Like, what? You know, so anyway, there's a lot of cultural barriers and, 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 and I felt that. I felt that distrust. And every conversation I had to cross that barrier of I know you don't know me. I know that I'm American and you're not. And I understand that like there's a cultural divide. But I want to just help your church grow. I want to help your church reach young people. And will you help me do some research? And as that conversation transpired, I came in with a smile, and I was the most authentic person I could possibly be to try to break down those barriers. Will we be a church that breaks down barriers between the people and the church? Because there's a lot of barriers there. And our church can knock those down. You can knock those down. Will you? Will we? Let's inspire trust. And then finally, let's do it in the name of Jesus. Let's do everything in the name of Jesus. When we collect diapers and send them to the the women's shelter, we do it in the name of Jesus. When we serve on the second Saturday of the month and we do God's pantry and we hand food to people who who don't have it or can't afford it, we do it in the name of Jesus. Will you be a church that continues to do that? You guys are so, so, so generous in giving. And I just want to keep encouraging us to be that church that knocks down barriers, inspires curiosity, inspires trust, takes care of our neighbors, and ultimately does it because Jesus is the one who did it first. 
And that's the church we should be. If you're looking for additional ways to care for your neighbor, maybe you would like some practice with this, I encourage you to join our care team. Maybe join the team of people that goes to the hospital and prays with people who are sick or facing disease, who takes their hand and prays for them and says, you know what? There's a God who cares for you. Maybe you join the care team. Maybe you join our our prayer team who prays for people every single week. There's lots of prayer requests in this church and, and, and around ourselves. Maybe you will join that team to pray for others. You want to stretch yourself? Pray for another person. Maybe this next year, as we, we're about to launch a, a counseling program, a lay counseling program, and we're going to first offer counseling to people who are getting married and then eventually uh, ex- extend that out to the community and to lots of other areas. Maybe you have an interest or some experience in counseling, and you're just like, you know what, I'd love, to, I'd love to help counsel someone. This next year, I encourage you to get involved with that. Let us know if you'd be interested in joining our care team, because that is an excellent way to care for our neighbors. Because if we don't do that, Who will? We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. And I'll close with this as uh, a band eventually comes back up, but I want us to flash back to that story I was telling you earlier about taking the students down to Galveston. So it was kind of, you know, scary being out on the streets with students trying to figure out how we were going to make some money and get a job application and, and, and find breakfast. But we eventually get back to the, the organization where we were serving, and, and we knock on the door, and we're like, please let us in. <laughs> like, we're done with this. The kids were just exhausted. They were whining. I had to deal with all that, so I was annoyed. Uh, and so we get back, and it's the staff open the door, and they're like, you've had enough? I'm like, yes. Oh, my gosh. And the, and, and the staff are like, well, how was it? And the kids are like, it was terrible. Right? No one would give me money. I couldn't get water. We never found breakfast. Like, we're hungry. Can we... And so the staff invited us in, and they're like, now you know what it's like to be homeless. Now you've experienced yourself what it's like to have nothing, to have to ask someone for help. So they invited us in, and they said, you know what? We're going to give you breakfast. And so on the table was this giant feast of food. And when you've had nothing, and you've been on the streets all morning, now I recognize that we weren't actually homeless, and it was all a simulation. But it was amazing to get to see on that table just a giant spread of breakfast and to get to see the reality of of not having anything versus having everything. And we as a church have a lot of things to offer because we follow a God who gives great blessings to his people. And we as a church can extend those out to the world around us. Will we invite not only people in to join us, but just take that out into the streets and just do it? Be a blessing to those around us, to care for our neighbor. When you love God, then you love your neighbor. And at the end of the day, we should care for our neighborhood well. May that be a challenge for us. May that be a mandate for us. And may we never stop until the end of our days. Now I'm going to say goodbye to the chapel as as we uh, head into worship. And so we're going to say goodbye to them. And uh, we will now uh, have a time of worship with our our, uh, worship bands. And we pray this in the name of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.